Podcast. I'm Alan Cavanaugh of Fox Sports, joined by David Smith of MotorsportsAnalytics.com. On this episode, a heavy look into the truck series after a good race in Dover, including a discussion of Johnny Sauter getting kicked to the curb, and if the grass is indeed greener at the Thor Sports side of things, a look at the young drivers over at Kyle Busch Motorsports, and everything you should be looking for when predicting this weekend's race in Kansas. But first, as always, this is episode 16. This is the Greg Biffle edition of Positive Regression. David, this one was pretty easy. Greg Biffle, long, successful career in the Cup Series, all in that 16 car for Roush Racing. You know, he was there throughout that team's ascension to a five-car superpower and its regression back down to earth. Uh, always a nice guy, a good quote. He was on the receiving end of my favorite racing insult ever when Sterling Marlin called him a bug-eyed dummy. And that is just <laughs> one of the many reasons and things I think of when I think of Greg Biffle. Craig Biffle, Truck Series champion, Xfinity Series champion, out of the ordinary for drivers of his time, he entered the Cup Series full-time in his age 33 season. He was a below-average producer for his age for the first three years, but broke out in 2005. That was his age 35 season. He earned a career-best peer of 3.097, ranked him second Overall in the series, Tony Stewart led the series in pure that year. Biffle won 19 times, Alan, 13 of which came on mile and a half or two mile tracks, kind of his specialty and a good specialty to have during his particular era of NASCAR. Uh, his best three year stretch of production, Alan, help me out here. What included what age? Age 39. His age 38 to 40 seasons wow. were his best productive stretch. Uh, for his career, he scored a plus 0.343 P ROA, so an above average driver, so says the numbers. His final two years at ages 45 and 46, uh, fell below the 1.0 peer bracket. A lot of his fans wished he got another opportunity in a good cup series car, but stats suggest he was kinda done, but Alan, some spot starts in the truck series might make for a good retirement. Yeah, and let's not forget, he will be in the truck series again when we go to Texas uh, later this year. He did some uh, practice laps earlier in March when we were already there with the truck series, and it was it was a pleasure to see him. It was just, you know, oh, there's Greg Biffle again. All of a sudden in a truck, it was kind of a fast uh, announcement that all came out, and he still had his Roush racing suit on with the Sprint Cup logo. You forgot how long he'd been away. It was never a part of the Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series, so it, it was eye-opening to see him in a, in a truck again in any sort of vehicle at a racetrack again yeah i like that he's bringing back the sprint cup logo i don't think we got enough of it did he have some time in the winston logo yeah he had he did have a year so he needs to bring that one back too just to complete the full cycle yeah and yeah we keep talking about greg biffle and what he accomplished never got that cup championship and never had the the big wins but you remember him as a winner just never with those uh the the big one, like the Daytona or or the Cup Championship one, that that'll always lack if you're a Greg Biffle fan, I'm sure. Yeah, but multiple wins at Darlington, which you know it, it, drivers will tell you is a driver's track. I think he's got a lot of trophies that he can point to and and say that he had a heyday where a lot of NASCAR Cup Series guys, even as good as they are, just to make it to that level, uh, can't necessarily say so. Good on him. Good career. Um, will be interesting to see what he does in the, uh, in the truck series this year. 
Absolutely. And kudos to him for coming back and uh, also for supplying us a good segue because as a former Truck Series champion, this episode of Positive Regression, it's going to be heavy on the Truck Series, David. Something close to my heart being, you know, in that garage and on pit road for Fox. It was great to be back in Dover after the long hiatus. And what we saw there was a good race. We saw a good truck race in Dover. I call it the Dover night race, even though it's on a Friday and ends before the sun goes down. But uh, it's one of my favorite races of the year just because it's it starts so early and it just it's just different right and uh we've had a memorable winner's interview in victory lane and david that interview came from the winner johnny sauter i feel like maybe very quietly this was the best race of the season across all nascar series and major stock car platforms because it had everything didn't it yeah, and I haven't thought about it in ter- in that term, that it was the best race all year across the platform, but we, we you and I have discussed on here uh, what a good race is. You know, what, what is a good race? Was it a good race? Answering that question. And by my definition, if you go back and listen to that episode, I, it, I thought it was a really good race because it had multiple storylines. It had multiple leaders. It had some drama, whether it be, you know, Sauter having his issues with uh, refiring his engine. He had issues in pit road, had to go back, lost a lot of track position. You had Brett Moffat, who started the race as, as an abundant favorite. He had the field cleared by two-tenths of a second in uh, qualifying. And so you had this presumptive favorite that went out and led laps. Then you have a rookie, Sheldon Creed, led a bunch of laps, and there was different things going on. Harrison Burton made a late charge. So, yes, by my calculations, that was a good race we saw in the truck series. And by my calculations, it was Johnny Sauter's best passing performance of the 2019 season and 81% adjusted pass efficiency. That is bananas. Uh, and, and that was really encapsulated by two, uh, particular passes, one at the end of the second stage to give him the stage two win. And the other was the pass for the lead. I'm going to dive into those a little bit. Uh, I'll, I'll set the picture for our listeners, which I now realize is difficult to do on a podcast. Brett Moffat leading, uh, Sheldon Creed, in second with about 10 laps to go in stage two. Johnny Sauter is in third at this point. Creed is running a half groove higher than Moffat. And some credit to young Sheldon Creed for searching for optimal grooves. He's a former stadium truck driver. So he's used to dirt racing, used to searching for grooves. But Brett Moffat, a lot of people don't realize Dirt guy, raced dirt modifieds before getting into pavement late models, and even his line at Dover uh, at the beginning of the race was a half groove from the apron, and it relocated by stage two to the middle groove. So he was also searching for more comfort. But those two guys came up on the lap truck of Spencer Boyd, and they both chose to go high. Uh, Boyd was occupying a middle line. Johnny Sauter running third dips down to a wide open low lane, passes Creed easily, and needs another corner to clear Moffat, who at this point didn't have enough time to react and get back down to his choice lane when he's blocked by Ray Siccarelli. And then Sauter very quickly scrambles back to the middle. And, you know, Alan, your partner in crime, Phil Parsons, called it very early in the race, saying Sauter's truck looked more versatile than any other truck in the field. And I do think he's right. I also think Sauter is probably the best truck series regular behind the wheel of a tight race truck. Uh, you were covering his pit stall for Fox Sports. Even he was complaining 
about his truck's handling, uh, in addition to some of these young guys. He was. And look, that, that's where I think experience comes in and that could add to it. Part of a good race is when you, you can see the driver make a difference, if that makes sense, because his experience told him to eventually go to the top. And with that pass, I mean, that was just, that, that's just instinct. That's just a driver wanting to get it done and finding the hole where it was. But eventually, you know, having to climb to the top of the racetrack and find where his truck was better. He was using that experience because he, you know, he's come in there with two straight wins and that's where he started passing a lot of trucks. And, uh, he eventually needed that skill and that experience because an ignition problem, uh, they, you know, everyone was trying to save gas and they were doing that thing where they flicked their, their engine off and he, uh, tried to turn it back on and it didn't fire. And per the NASCAR rules, if you don't keep up, you got to blend back in when you finally do refire. So that put him back there, David. And on a track that can be hard to pass, I think he restarted ninth. Not happy on the radio. Not happy, Johnny Sauter, which you can often hear sometimes when things aren't going well. Uh, very entertaining, Johnny Sauter, but not happy, Johnny Sauter. And then he had to make the, the charge up from back in ninth. Yeah, and you, look, you mentioned experience. We we talked about last week, um, on last week's episode, how the late laps at Dover makes your handling condition tighter. And we heard most drivers wanting their trucks more free for the final stage. There was one moment with Harris and Burton where discomfort with his truck probably factored into him being unable to pass for the lead. He tried to pass Sheldon Creed after a restart earlier in the race, but his truck became visibly loose and the wobble was big enough, as was his reaction to kill all the momentum and fast forward to around 50 to go in the final stage. Creed is in the high middle groove and Burton is one groove below. But as they came up on lap traffic, Burton just would not go all the way to the bottom, even though his spotter Brandon Lyons was on the radio pleading with him to do it. And if you think about it, that is sound advice. The leader will almost always be driving the most comfortable line around the track. And in order to make a pass, you kind of have to be okay with stepping outside your comfort zone. There's always been, since the beginning of racing, discussion about how difficult it is to pass for the lead. Well, part of that is because the leader gets to enjoy the spoils of the most comfortable line and the cars or trucks around him are forced to adjust. Harrison Burton didn't want to make himself more uncomfortable in the bottom lane at Dover, Johnny Sauter was willing to do that. And he ended up winning the stage and the race. And the way he won that race, again, he had to come back and get all gain all that track position again. Fortunately, there was some pit strategy and the cars that were out front after one of the later restarts, uh, you know, the, there was Ben Rhodes and there were some others. I think they only took two tires and there, there were some others that, that didn't have uh, quite the speed and tires that, that Johnny Sauter had, but he still had to make those passes. And ultimately he did getting by Ben Rhodes on the outside. Again, what I was talking about, that experience to make that pass and go on the outside and do it. Yes, and poor Ben Rhodes attempting to block while while on two fresh tires. Yeah, good good luck with that. the the plan The plan, I guess, was to capitalize on clean air, but that involves taking advantage of the best line. I don't think Rhodes had much to work with, and he was no, already. He told me at, after the race, he had a fifteenth place truck. So where he finished <laughs> in, in the gamble they took, uh, it, it was a long post race meeting. But so for the gamble they took and the advantage it gave them, I think he ended up like sixth or something. So I, I think that paid off in the end. So maybe it was worth the rolling the dice when he yeah, had a fifteenth place truck. He was already at a disadvantage to solder on four fresh tires. 
but then he forfeited that best leverage he had as the leader because he veered off his line to block uh, what was essentially a Johnny Sauter feint. Uh, Sauter juked him, dipped into the middle groove, Rhodes blocked, and Sauter went back to the line he was already fine with. He probably didn't break much of a sweat on that one. And in hindsight, that was the race. Uh, Brett Moffat made a go of it from the inside line on a restart uh, late, but Sauter toasted him after two corners. Alan, I've been talking a lot. What what was what was your lasting impression of uh, of, of the race of Johnny Sauter's win? Uh, you interviewed him in Victory Lane. What were your takeaways? Yeah, the the interview in Victory Lane turned out to be quite memorable. And look, I'll, I'll tell you as a broadcaster, right? I have his pit, so you know I'm trying to prepare and, and think about what I'll ask because we only get so many shots at, at Victory Lane and so many questions. And having his pit all day, I, I knew about that he had had a attack issue in the uh, in the pits, like he was having trouble getting. Uh, his speed. He felt like he was getting off pit road uh, slower than everybody else. So that was going through his mind. He had the bad uh, issue with the ignition. That was going through his mind. He had a survival late race restart. So he had overcome a lot. So that's what I was thinking going in to the victory lane interview. And that's where my first question came in is because you heard him right after he won. He was so excited. Uh, I've heard him win plenty of times. He's won 10% of his races in the truck series. And, but he, it, this one just sounded just different on the radio. He's so satisfying. So my question, where I was coming from anyway, when I asked, why was this one so satisfying? Thinking it was, he was going to say because he'd overcome so much in the race, the ignition issue, the tack issue and all that stuff. If I had been thinking quicker, I would have put two and two together, but he immediately drops the line about how satisfying it was because he had got kicked to the curb in the off season by GMS. And guess who he just went out there and beat the same driver that had replaced him at GMS. And, and in that moment, it all clicks in my head, like, Oh my God, yeah, that's exactly what you did. And so, uh, when I heard that answer and he was, gave a great interview, it, it was, uh, you could understand why he was so excited and why it was so satisfying and it turned out to be a great, uh, great victory lane interview. Yeah. in indeed it was. Do you know what this race felt like to me, Alan? If, if someone came to me and said they'd never seen a NASCAR race before, this might be the race I give them to watch first, just to get them hooked. You don't, you don't want to start out with a masterpiece <laughs> or a deep cut. You want to start them with something substantial. And this race had all of it. Uh, honestly, it was. 200 laps. Uh, I believe cup races are too long on the whole, but this, a truck series race on a Friday early evening on a track without a lighting system felt about 50 laps too short. I, uh, I could have, I could have had more, but what a, what a great race. Um, really the truck series just has an entertaining product and Dover is the perfect stage. Good stuff, good stuff. And really, I mean, when we look at Johnny Sauter, we know his credentials. Like I just said, that was his 24th victory in 250 Truck Series starts, a 10% winning percentage. Pretty damn good. We know he's good. We know he's a past champion. Uh, but David, until he got this win with Thor Sport, there was going to be that question, you know, can he go? Does he still have it? Is this still a, a winning driver? Uh, how do you, if you're doing an analysis of Sauter now that he has the win, not that I think he ever went, you know, he didn't go anywhere. I wouldn't call it a comeback, you know what I mean? But how would you analyze him at this moment in the truck series? This is Sauter's age 41 season. And while we should expect a slide uh, from the high ratings of years past, everything seems okay for right now. 
His 4.75 peer ranks third in the series, second among series regulars, trailing only Grant Enfinger. That's a higher rating than what was projected at the start of the season, which was a 2.243. But while he's overshooting what was predicted, he's right in line with the ranking projected for third among series regulars. Suffice to say, a good season was anticipated, and he is delivering on that. But I do want to touch on his passing. He ranks second in adjusted pass efficiency behind Kyle Bush and third in surplus passing value behind Bush and Ray Siccarelli, who I bet you didn't think I would mention twice on this podcast. No. Uh, the wonders of a small sample size. Sodder, though, uh, is a reliable mover. We saw that at Dover. That was, that was what we can consider the eye test. Here are the numbers that back that up. 38 positions beyond the expectation of his average running position this season. Those passes were evenly distributed across the last four races, plus eight at Atlanta, plus 13 at Las Vegas, plus nine at Texas, plus eight at Dover. I can't say Thorsport uh, is having any buyer's remorse, Alan. Yeah, and then that's a fair question, right? I mean, he, he was in a championship ride, Johnny Sauter was. You know, he'd won a championship for GMS, had another great year last year, a bunch of wins, I think six wins last year with GMS. And then, in his words, gets kicked to the curb. Is moving over to Thorsport, was this a downgrade at all or was was it an upgrade at all? Is it even? How would you describe this? I mean, no one wanted to move. No one wants to be kicked to the curb. But what kind of situation did Johnny Sauter find himself in now that we have a little uh, hindsight to look at early in the season? In 2018... In the GMS truck, he ranked second in central speed and had Joe Shear as a crew chief. In 2019, in a Thorsport truck, he ranked second in central speed and has Joe Shear as a crew chief. Logically speaking, he made a lateral move. Joe Shear coming with him certainly creates a soft landing, but even then, in his mind, he might consider this a downgrade. He lost his ride kind of at the 11th hour and didn't have ample time that we're aware of to gather funding necessary to keep him at GMS. It depends on the personality of the driver, of course, but after being told that you can no longer have one thing, but you're welcome to another thing, logic probably goes out the window. It's understandable that he has a chip on his shoulder after being told by team owners more or less that he couldn't hack it in the NASCAR Cup Series. He came to the truck series, he built a home, and everything has been rosy. It's a credit to him that this is the first real adversity he's faced in the series. Interesting way to put it. And I remember that, his Cup Series career. Uh, one quick anecdote. I just remember come, you know, rising through the ranks and going through different markets where I used to work. I worked in Evansville, Indiana, and I got to cover the Brickyard. And it was uh, the, the era of the dawn of the, the car of tomorrow, David. And the car of tomorrow was going to solve all the problems. And it was going to help uh, the smaller teams come even with the bigger teams, right? Tell me if you've heard this before or recently with the new Aero package. But I remember asking the question, literally, word for word, will the car of tomorrow help smaller teams like Haas CNC Racing and Johnny Sauter compete against the big boys? I remember asking that question in an interview somewhere at the Brickyard, and it just uh, made me laugh but now that we're you know looking back on Johnny Sauter's cup career and maybe what could have been or what was it wasn't a very lengthy career. Turns out Tony Stewart and a lot of cash helped out Haas CNC <laughs> Racing. Is that that was actually the the, the correct answer? I did but, not have that answer back then. <laughs> Sauter's 
Sauter's Cup Series career, you know, he was fired 16 races into his rookie season by Richard Childress, probably because his team wasn't putting up results in the same stratosphere as the RCR driver two years older than him, which was Kevin Harvick. The very next season, Sauter competed in 10 races for James Finch's old Phoenix racing team, and he did very well. He ranked 19th out of 53 drivers in peer, and his peer was better than that of the average 27-year-old. In hindsight, had Richard Childress waited out the struggles, he would have been rewarded with some results. Of course, we don't know how rocky the relationship between Sauter and Childress was. Both of those gentlemen have shown themselves to be hotheads at times. I'm sure they clashed at some point, which may have led to the working relationship falling apart. But ultimately for Sauter, he had four abbreviated seasons at the cup level, uh, and he was inconsistent. And that doesn't mean he was bad. It just means teams could never get a fair read on him. In terms of peer, he ranked 51st, 19th. 31st and 41st. That's probably not enough, at least on the surface level, for another team to take a chance on him in the Cup Series. I've looked at a few other Cup careers in comparison. I think had he stuck around, his career would bear a resemblance to the one Regan Smith eventually had. Smith went from a season of negative production to winning at Darlington and then being unemployed to being in demand and ultimately signed by Hendrick and Junior Motorsports. So a series of ups and downs. And I think it's fitting Smith's eventual destination was the Xfinity series, a series outside of Cup. Sauter found a home in trucks and he settled there earlier than Smith did. And one could argue the perception of Sauter's driving ability has been better for it. We're we're talking about him, and I don't know that that would have been the case had he stayed in the Cup Series and been maybe, what, on a good day, a 14th, 15th place guy? That We, we don't know how that would have shaken out, but it was, it was a pretty good career move just in terms of performance. Hey, yeah, we're still talking about him, and he's getting trophies, and there's nothing wrong with winning. I'm sure a, a bigger bank account is out there somewhere, you know, in an alternate universe. But when you're a racer, you want to win races and win championships, and, hey, that's what Johnny Sauter is doing right now. Uh, he's on the older side of the truck series. Let's talk about the, the other end of it and, and the young drivers in that series because uh, it's been a storyline all year, David, and – it's debatable. I, some people debate whether it is something that should be talked about or harped on so much, but I'm talking about the performance of those young drivers at Kyle Busch Motorsports. We know it's uh, some of the best equipment in the sport. We know it has a lot of speed because when Mr. Bush gets in there, he goes out there and wins four straight races. And we saw a little bright light in Dover. Harrison Burton tied a career best with his uh, third place finish, something he's done a few times before. Todd Gilliland, the other driver for KBM struggled some issues early and then he finished 15th and that was after qualifying 14th. So David, how do we assess these two young drivers? Young is the operative word here. No wins yet for either of them. Uh, should we be concerned they're not living up to the equipment that they are in? It's a valid question. KBM is the richest team in the series subsidized heavily by the richest manufacturer in the sport. This kind of question has been overblown in that for the different KBM drivers, KBM means different things. For Kyle Busch, it means wins. He can't 
compete for championships. He does not concern himself with stage victories. Wins are all that matter. And when that's the focus for a driver who now no longer has any readily identifiable weaknesses at the Cup Series level, he's going to make it the fastest truck in the Truck Series. This season, when Kyle Busch is in the 51 truck, its average single race central speed ranking is 1.0. It can't possibly be better than that. (laughs) When he isn't in the truck, the average single race ranking is 10.0. With that average, it's the eighth fastest truck in the series whenever Kyle Busch isn't the one driving it. And it's identical to Todd Gilliland's ranking, suggesting that the two teams are indeed equal, but perhaps not at the level most fans or probably Kyle Busch actually think. Let's take Dover as an example. No Kyle Busch in the race, and the story Hermie Sadler talked about uh, prior to the start was how much difficulty Rudy Fugel had in practice to set up the truck to Brandon Jones's liking. Now, make all the Brandon Jones jokes you want, but that truck and the trucks of Gilliland and Raphael Lassard ranked 12th, 14th and 16th in speed for the Dover race. Those trucks finished 11th, 13th and 15th, all better than expected, solely taking into account speed. Harrison Burton's effort was a cut above, but also coalesced with his speed, which ranked fifth in the race. But there's a clear cap on what these drivers should be able to achieve. A great driver like Kyle Busch can make up the difference, but realistically, are these drivers, Harrison Burton, Todd Gilliland, Rafael Lassard, are they going to be as good as Kyle Busch? Probably not, not even down the road. So why should we expect them as teenagers to rival Bush's results right now? I think asking that question that way is a little bit overblown. I, I think they're just young kids trying to get a feel of things. And, and honestly, just from looking at the numbers, it would appear that Kyle Busch's presence is masking a lot of deficiencies at KBM. And what is not on the side of these two young men is the history, David. And that's what people are going to look to. They're going to look at the William Byrons of the world, the Eric Jones of the world, who come in and win titles or win a bunch of races, probably, you know, and should have won titles, what have you. And what we're seeing are drivers who, plenty of drivers who go and win in Kyle Busch motorsports equipment and we're looking at two drivers that have not quite yet and even if a lot of people say you know look last year Todd Gilliland should have won two races right he won ran out of gas in the back stretch at Texas heartbreaker there and got taken out by his own teammate uh up in Mo Sport up in Canada you give him two wins and you're looking at him differently and I would say but are we though this year right I mean this year is a different season he may have two wins coming into the season but this year the performance isn't there. Right now, he is 22 points behind his teammate Harrison Burton for that last playoff spot. And David, there's a legitimate shot that Todd Gilliland doesn't make the playoff. And that's not hyperbole. That's just math because there are only so many spots. There's only eight spots. And I, I wonder if, if, if there's a lack of speed, but there's also that, that bias that we have looking at what young drivers have done in Kyle Busch Motorsports equipment and not really being realistic about what's there right now. But yes, but even though Todd Gillen has yet to win in the truck series, that doesn't mean he's not having good performances. So far this year in three of five measurable races, he's had a positive adjusted pass efficiency. So he's doing the things that good drivers tend to do 
most often, it's just not showing up in the results sheet. Dover was, was no exception. He had problems in the middle of the race, but some of these things, I don't, I don't know that the, the organization is as strong as it was when Eric Jones and William Byron were running rampant. There also wasn't a GMS racing as strong as they are now back then. Hattori racing wasn't, wasn't a thing then. And they didn't have this mind blowing engine package that allowed Brett Moffat to win a championship. There are a lot of factors in place, but I feel like we're just looking at these young kids and yeah, they're highly touted. And that, that does kind of come with sons of former cup drivers, but they are making do with the things that they have at their disposal. You know, Alan, you know, this does kind of remind me of there's a, there's another famous person, uh, in Charlotte that has been notoriously hard on young talent. Does this remind you at all of Michael Jordan when he was in charge of uh, basketball decision making for the Washington Wizards? And I don't get me started. To, I, I want to compare him now to to Kyle Bush, but back when he was the that's general an insult manager, to Kyle Bush. I'm sorry, but go back on. Back when he was general manager <laughs> of the Wizards, he drafted a high schooler named Kwame Brown, and he belittled Kwame so much that the player just mentally went on autopilot. And was forever considered a bust. When, but when you go back and pull up Kwame Brown's stats after he left the Wizards, he had a competent career uh, to the effect that if he was maybe the 12th pick and not the first pick in the NBA draft, everyone would have deemed him an acceptable NBA player. Kyle Bush, I know he is very vocal about Todd Gilliland's performance earlier in the season. Kyle Busch might be just another great athlete that ultimately can't connect with drivers that don't share his talent or, I don't know, his, his borderline maniacal drive. Um, these kids likely won't be as good as Kyle Busch. That doesn't mean that they should be nurtured in the same manner. Interesting. I don't know if I'll fully agree, but you have planted a seed that I look forward to uh, exploring and growing in the future, David. Interesting comparison. I'm just a jaded Charlotte Hornets uh, season ticket holder, so me and Michael have some beef. But that's did, for did you did the, you renew the season tickets? I did not. That's for another podcast. To talk oh, about. <laughs> that's actually that like big news. We need to talk about that off mic. But yeah. Um, well, and look, we have another shot just in a couple days uh, tomorrow. Actually, if you were listening to this on Thursday morning. The the trucks are on track uh, Friday night in Kansas, so I'm glad. It's another big weekend of racing, a doubleheader weekend, David. Uh, The trucks on Friday night and the Cup Series on Saturday night before we all uh, call our mothers on Sunday and or be with them. But uh, let's let's look at Kansas and the track out there. And um, look, if we're talking trucks, the last non-Kyle Bush winner for KBM was uh, Noah Gregson last year. So uh, we'll see if a Harrison Burton or Todd Gilliland can do it out there in Kansas this year. But let's look on the cup side of things. What are you looking at when you think of a preview or what you may look at for restarts or speed or who has an advantage? What do you look at when you think the Kansas race uh, in the spring, David? Hmm. The fastest car in the race won the last two spring races at Kansas. To that end, Kyle Busch and the number 18 team, because they are the fastest in central speed in the series, they'll be the ones to watch this weekend. The good news, though, is that in each of those races, the disparity in restart position retention between both crews was less than 20%. 
any drivers saddled in the outside line, which is the non-preferred groove at Kansas, still have a fighting chance, even though the odds don't favor them. And we saw good restarters uh, flourish last year. Kevin Harvick, Kurt Busch, and Brad Keselowski all scored perfect retention on restarts in last year's race. Kurt Busch uh, was the best of those three, had the best net gain with seven positions earned on five attempts. As for pit strategy, we can safely say the lap time fall off on worn tires is less than a second. So strategy might take a back seat to just getting on and off pit road as quick as possible without speeding. And by that, I mean the action of slowing down to get off of the track and onto pit road and accelerating thereafter. There is time on the racetrack to be gained if you can pull this off during a green flag stop, but it's a very difficult balance. Six teams were popped for speeding during green flag stops in the Kansas playoff race last fall. Uh, so there's, there's a lot at play here. I, I tell you what I want to see though, Alan, I think I'd like to see a late restart. In fact, I think the race itself will probably need it to avoid the fastest team running away with the win. Uh, whether crew chiefs gamble on the amount of tires depends on the kind of fall off they see earlier in the race, but clean air will matter to an extent. So it's entirely possible that we see no pit or no tire strategies. You're probably going to see uh, some double stents. I wouldn't be shocked to see that, um, especially with stage points at stake. But a late restart. I, I want. I want to see this thing uh, get shaken up towards the end of the race. What about you? What do you? What would you like to see at Kansas Speedway? That would sound good, especially after Dover. No offense to Martin Truex Jr., who ran away with it in a very fast race car, but a, a late restart in Dover wouldn't have hurt, and it probably won't hurt at Kansas this weekend as uh, as well. Uh, David, every week I see, we ask this question: What do I want to see? And I scream kind of about parody or a new winner. Uh, I'm still on that train a little bit. But I want to see, last year we talked about kind of teams, how are the, you know, there was one alpha dog or almost like Formula One style, like Kyle Busch was dominating JGR, Kevin Harvick dominated Stuart Haas Racing. But this year, Joey Logano has wins, Brad Kislowski, you look over at JGR, two wins apiece for Martin Truex Jr., for Kyle Busch, Denny Hamlin, pretty damn good. Right, I want to see the other guys on those teams step up, and maybe one of them win. And I'm looking at you, Ryan Blaney. I'm looking at Eric Jones, uh, maybe like a William Byron or Alex Bowman's been lighting it on fire lately. I just want to see one of them emerge, one of these young drivers come up and challenge their their veteran brethren. Uh, I, I don't know why. I just I don't want to see them too fall too far back. Spread the love over at these organizations, and uh, I just think of Blaney. You know, I've seen he's been on the pole there before out in Kansas. A lot of speed. You can send it into that first corner. Something Blaney is the type of driver to do. I want to see one of these drivers who's not maybe currently represented in the win column on these big mega teams. I want one of them to emerge. Is that fair? Yeah. Yeah. Good call on Blaney. You know, the Eric Jones thing's funny. I've been accused of overhyping that young man. And as luck would have it, he has a, a very solid outing at Dover, a sixth place finish. And it comes on a Monday when everyone's in the office <laughs> or not watching. So I swear the kid's good. The numbers say so. And, uh, I, I think Joe Gibbs racing needs to hold on to him as long as they can. And maybe you're right. Maybe this weekend is, is one of his uh, first chances to shine this season. Yeah. And look, P2 
people who don't understand or follow this podcast or listen, I, I think you are correct in terms of, oh, look at, look at the other three guys on JGR. They have wins. Eric Jones doesn't. Christopher Bell won the Xfinity race, ran away with it. Uh, you know, they're, they're making that, that simple comparison, like, all right, let's get rid of Eric Jones. You know what I mean? Or they're, they're doing the math in their head and there's something a lot deeper there, David. And I've heard you say it before. Yeah. And he, and he's got all the qualities, the passing, the restarting. It's the things that you want that make a good cup series driver. And he's a year and a half younger than Christopher Bell, the guy that everyone's trying to replace him with. I think he's okay. Let's, let's just take a deep breath, give him some space. He's not even 24 yet. Once he surpasses that age, on average, that's when NASCAR careers tend to accelerate. Uh, let's give him that time. I don't think anyone will be disappointed. We'll see what he can do in Kansas. Should be another good weekend for NASCAR. Well, we are available on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and Podbean. We have all your favorite devices covered. If you like what you're hearing, and I know you do, leave us a rating and review. That does really help it. Helps this podcast gain visibility. Your help in spreading the word is appreciated. If you have questions, we want to answer them on this podcast. Reach out to us on Twitter at PosregPog. PosregPod. P-O-S-R-E-G-P-O-D. David, what are you working on? We talked a little about it today, but on motorsportsanalytics.com, I looked at how Kyle Busch's Xfinity and Truck Series teams fare in speed without him in the vehicle. That along with an updated batch of Cup Series speed rankings in advance of Kansas. Good stuff there. And I will, everything's about Kyle this week, it seems like, because I am interviewing him for Race Hub. Again, if you are listening early Thursday morning, that means you are a subscriber. We appreciate that. Uh, watch Race Hub tonight on Thursday because you will see my interview with Mr. Bush, who has made some news this week and we'll see how he responds and, uh, all that stuff as we look toward Kansas. Uh, that'll be on Race Hub on Thursday. And then of course, Friday night, we are back at the track. We've got qualifying, all that good stuff. I'll be on pit road at Kansas for the truck race, the cup race, obviously on Saturday night, all on the Fox family. So make sure you watch and uh, make sure you call your mother, send her a card. It's still, if you're listening to this on Thursday, you've got plenty of time to send her a card. So <laughs> thank you for listening to episode 16 of positive regression for David Smith. I'm Alan Cavana. Stay positive, everybody. Rose Davis, historian and co-host of the sports podcast, Burn It All Down. And now I'm hosting the new season of American Prodigy, all about black girls in gymnastics. For the last 40 years, black gymnasts have moved from the margins to the core of the sport and changed gymnastics along the way. Now they tell their stories. You'll meet trailblazers like Diane Durham, superstars like Jordan Childs, and everyone in between. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.